Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, where we present informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. Our show, which began in September of 2019, was formerly known as Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. As with Senior Straight Talk, all episodes of the previous show are archived on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and can be downloaded on popular podcast platforms. And please remember to like, click, and share our episodes. So once again, I'm here with my co-host, Rubina Chaudhry, who's in California. I'm here on the coast. So how's everything going out there for you, Rubina? Uh, Phyllis, it's up and down. Sometimes it's well, sometimes it's not. Uh, oh, you want to talk a little bit about that before we introduce our guest? Uh, sure. I briefly interacted with you yesterday. Um, uh, at listeners, regular listeners will know that my mom is 92. She's in... Uh, uh, she's progressed to a, a nursing facility from assisted living and a hip fracture and surgery and uh, a nursing facility. I got a call yesterday that her hands were swollen and they had called the doctor and the doctor had prescribed antibiotics. So I, as you know, I have now made available an iPad for my mom so I can call and I can have them, you know, show me the hands, show me where she is. So, so I can, uh, I can have a visual of it. Uh, her hands were swollen and uh, they gave her, her pain medicine. And later in the day was her care conference mm. uh, where, um, you know, all different departments were there because she's new in this facility. And one of the things that emerged there was this doctor who had I had spoken with before. Uh, he had seen mom quite some time ago, but he hasn't seen her for a while because he comes for his rounds on a day when mom is at dialysis. Oh. Uh, so my goal became that before I leave that conversation that I wanted to make sure that he would come and see her one day. So I made that happen, that he should come on a day when the nurse speaks my mom's language and, and before 10 a.m. And he's agreed that he would come one day before he goes to his office and he will be able to see her. So I'm going to follow up. And the rest of the reports were fine. And that happened in late afternoon. And then at five o'clock, the care aide who's meeting my mom, which I think listeners already know, my mom's now in a wheelchair after several months of not being mobile now he, she has a little bit more mobility in the wheelchair and she was actually exploring the hallways of the of the hospital you know entrance while waiting for her ride to come uh, so the care aide was there and I asked her to again take a look at her hands and she looked at it and she said yes it looks like it's painful so so that's in addition to other things that I am addressing I have had I have had her additional clothes and her pictures delivered, which I'm hoping they'll be able to hang up in her room this uh, this week so that it feels more familiar to her. 
I'm in the process of getting her TV connected so that, she, you know, and when she wants to relax. So that's the latest in the, in the story of my caring for my parents. Well, I, I know it's uh, been difficult. We've shared that. And I think that the guest we have today um, will, will be able to add insights about long-term care and, and the kind of care environments that, um, that elder citizens should be having um, when they have to move to, to a long-term care situation. So I want to introduce her and then we'll, uh, we'll continue the conversation from there because I'm sure she, she may have questions for you, Rubina, or, or insights. Okay, let's go. We're in it together. Okay, our guest today is Dr. Emmy Kiyota, who's the founder and director of Ibasho, an organization that facilitates the co-creation with elders of socially integrated, sustainable communities that value their elders. Dr. Kiyota holds a PhD in architecture, environment, and behavioral studies from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. University of Wisconsin is one of my alma maters and uh, a Master of Architecture and a Master of Science in Horticulture Therapy from Kansas State University. She's an environmental gerontologist and a consultant with over 20 years of experience in designing and implementing person-centered care in long-term care facilities and hospitals globally. She's an organizational culture change specialist, currently serves a consultant to implement person-centered care practice in long-term care facilities, and has published journal articles and book chapters in Germany, Japan, Switzerland, and the United States. Um, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about what you've done, Emmy. Your, your bio speaks for itself, so I'm sure the listeners want to hear from you. So welcome so much to Senior Straight Talk. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me over. I'm really excited about uh, chatting with you too. Oh, well, we're so glad to have you. And I, I know that your, um, you know, your current focus is on creating socially integrated and resilient cities where elders are engaged and able to actively participate in their communities. But before we get to that, I, I'm interested in hearing your insights about long-term care environments and your vision and some of the projects you've been involved in. In our previous conversation, I think you said something about being involved with the Leonard Florence Center for Living. And, um, you know, I had visited there, I had talked about that. So, you know, the first urban greenhouse. So can you give us a little bit about your vision and your insights about long-term care environments for our elders? Yeah, I think uh, this long-term care, the interest in long-term care started from my um, experience, like personal experience of like visiting my grandmother when I was 25, I remember. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was not studying architecture. I was not really professional looking after older people. I was just working for government sector in Japan. So I walked in to nursing home and it really changed the way I, um, I just really challenged the way our society view elders at that time because I was completely lay person walking to nursing home. Everything was strange because no one knew my grandmother's first name. I, you know, they knew they actually identify her with room number with the location of the bed, which was 14B. (laughs) (laughs) Or the diagnosis sometimes, right? Yeah, and you know, she had a dementia, but it was she, you know, she actually volunteered herself. She packed herself up and just 
went and checked into a nursing home because she mm. knew that her memory was failing. Mm. Uh, and she wasn't able to really uh, walk, you know, six months. And she wasn't able to talk over like a year or so because she really lost her will to live. And I could actually, when I visited her, I could see her just, you know, the, uh, her eyes and spirit was gone, you know, because the image I had about her was before the nursing home time, she was a gardener. She always grow her herbs and dry everything up and make it a tea and send it to everyone. Um, you know, although we complained that the tea was bitter, <laughs> but, <laughs> but she cares about everybody's health. And that was, you know, so, when, you know, just my grandmother was a hardworking human being and she was who she was with spirit, strong spirit. And it was shocking to me when I saw her on the bed at the nursing home. And I just thought, this shouldn't be the last part of anyone's life. Um, and I just, you know, I was very um, young and naive at the time, thinking, I'm going to have to do something to change this, really. And surprisingly, the people who were there were all nice people. It's not like they're mistreating my grandparents, mm -hmm. like a grandma. But she wasn't enjoying it. And staff members were so tired and busy working, overworked. Never thinking, this is a very strange place. And somehow no one knew my grandmother's name uh, other than the direct caregivers. Mm. But somehow everybody knew my mom, grandmother's diagnosis. And then she went to the bathroom on that day. Mm -hmm. Again, that was very strange. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that's how I started to learn about, the, I mean, uh, long-term care. So, um, and I, you know, just, and I came to the U.S. because I just, I was living in Japan at the time. It's a gender issue that I wasn't accepted to a graduate school. It was not popular for women mm -hmm. to graduate school by, back then. So, I came to the U.S. and um, I studied aging. That's what I wanted to study. And because you could probably see, my grandmother loved gardening. I just thought horticultural therapy makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. and, about and, uh, and uh, I thought I was just going to be in the States for two years and get the master's degree and go back um, and just work in Japan. But it just ended up I was... I became interested in the environment of long-term care when I was studying gerontology. And then I just got into architecture and I just, I did master's and PhD to really do research about how to design better for older people. But I have to say, I'm not coming from traditional like hospital or caregiver or nurses background. Um, I kind of thought that in the beginning, my view was, too strange that it wasn't mainstream. I was questioning about everything. Why you do this? Why you do that? I mean, and uh, then my answer, the answer was that you're not a healthcare worker. That's why you don't understand this. Mm. I was actually feeling a little, uh, you know, insecure about that kind of perception thinking, oh, I'm not a healthcare worker. I shouldn't be just talking about long-term care. But these days I'm thinking, oh, that was actually a blessing because I don't take, you know, just common sense or status quote, quote that people 
people provide. And, you know, the good news is that the nursing home is really not like a desirable place for a lot of people. So I think we need to just have people just keep asking questions with common sense to just create a better place for people to live. It is not a hospital. It is a home. And how can we create the space? And um, so that's, that's how I started to become interested. So, you know, I don't really, I do like to talk about the design, how to design things. But at the same time, I'm more interested in how that design process being just like how can we actually include older person as a part of design because mm. i feel like i studied many years in architecture school and i've one thing i've learned was that we just don't know much about older people because we don't study about them but we design for them and i feel like how much do we have to know about people and how much can we know about person mm. you know i think wouldn't that be great to have Person who are going through aging mm-hmm. tell us what they want and what their challenges are. And I think we just haven't had that system to be able to um, properly integrate it. So that's really my questions. You know, I was listening to a webinar um, a couple of weeks ago, and what they were saying was that most environments, and not long-term care environments, but even our community environments, were really designed for like a, a male 40 years of age. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, if, if environments, uh, communities were designed for either older people or younger people, then anybody can kind of live there. Mm-hmm. But I just want to make a comment about something you said, which was that you weren't um, a healthcare person. So, uh, you know, you were questioning things and thought, to yourself, gee, why, why am I questioning this if I'm not a healthcare worker? Maybe I don't understand, but I am a healthcare worker. Actually, what drove me to it is similar to what drove you to it. I was a teenager when I visited my mother, my grandmother in a nursing home, and I won't go into the whole story because I've said it many times, but interestingly enough, I also questioned things. Being a healthcare worker, a speech pathologist who worked in so many nursing homes, and the interesting thing is that I started to question myself because everybody else was like, well, this is the way it is. And I was like, but why does it have to be this way? And shouldn't it be better or different? And so I became the outsider and I was a healthcare worker. So I think we kind of have that in, you know, that in common a little bit. You know what I mean? It, once you have different ideas about what's happening, it doesn't matter whether you're in that profession or not in that profession you become like the outsider. Yeah. Emmy, what I'm taking from, from your first introductory co- uh, comments is that we need to ask, those, ask the people that are in that age group, what would they like? What, uh, you know? And the idea I'm getting, I think I've shared with you offline, that Olive Community Services is at the verge of starting our project. And I'm, really grateful that we met each other and I think one of the first things that we need to take a look at is uh, is a focus group that is comprised of elders because in the last uh, couple of weeks I mean this is very real time Amy I've been talking with an architect giving a wish list and Phyllis sent me her wish list and I've just now got a a message from uh, from the architect but I think that's 
uh, we I am very interested in learning from your experience and your lessons learned and to see how we can incorporate this with uh, this project that's just about to come on board. So I think our meeting is very timely. Okay, and thank excellent. you for joining us. And Phyllis, continue, please. Oh, so I was going to um, also say, um, Emmy, when we uh, spoke the other day, um, you had um, told me that you were involved in the design of the Lennon Florence Center for Living, which is the first greenhouse. So I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, um, not about that specifically, but how, you know, being that Rubina, we're, we're talking about this kind of project, you know, how do you, how do you vision those things initially or how do you get started on these kinds of projects? Because there may be other people out there who want to start projects of this sort and they really wouldn't know like where or how to begin. How do you, how does one begin a project like that? So I, I have to correct first. I wasn't involved in the floor and center design. I was involved in the beginning of the greenhouse project design. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. So I just, I just, you know, that's because there are lots of people involved in that particular beautiful oh, project. Okay, I'm sorry. It's sorry. Sure I'm people sorry. understand. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how to start? You know, I think because although I'm coming from architecture, I really. I always am very careful, like the role of built environment and the combination to the care. You know, I think the beauty of greenhouse or, you know, just certain care, it is, it is about the care and, uh, you know, just that's most important. And, you know, building can actually afford and allow the good care to happen. Um, so we want to, I, I always like to talk about this, like, role of architecture you know sometimes I hear like oh my building is too old to provide person-centered care and I'm like yes you can provide person-centered care um, by the way if you wanna if you just built the new building with the same staff members and same mindset and unfortunately the building is not going to solve your organizational problem you know, <laughs> yeah. you know it's just like but a time, that's how, you know, people approach. It's like, we need, we need a smaller scale house. Uh, you know, I work, um, I work closely with, um, you know, just uh, people who are involved in the greenhouse. And I'm, you know, I always, I'm quite impressed how much trainings and education time that they put it in. Um, you know, it just, it's a, that combination just really is a good fit, you know? So if, Someone wants to, you know, if someone just ordered like nice person-centered care building, but I am not going to change any stuffing, any mindset. We just want to run nursing home the way it is, but it's like, you know, nicer building. Like, well, it's, you know, it's actually better to have hospital-like, institutional-like building if you provide a care like that, you know, because if you have a home-like setting environment with very medicalized care, it just don't fit. Correct. Yeah, yeah. so those are the fits that it's important. So, you know, how to start? Um, I'm glad that, um, you know, uh, Ravina, that I was, uh, you know, you were interested in, like, my comments about asking and listen to elders. Yes, um, that's really important. But I think the first part of this is my experience myself 
is that we all have to educate others and our mindset about ageist, you know, ageism actually. Um, because, you know, if we don't change this, this, if we just discuss about what we can do, what you want to do, what people are going to talk about is what they know. Mm-hmm. But what we try to do here is to create something it doesn't exist. That's why we're creating something different means that we have to have a different mindset to dis- start discussing, the com- you know, the start the conversation itself. So it is so important to spend some time in the very beginning to educate people's mindset change. And, you know, that's where, um, like, organization I have, like Ipasho, I spend a lot of time uh, in the beginning part to really educate people to think differently when they see something they see differently so that we are not gonna have the frame you know mind frame like a like a mind or frame that is based on what we have because I feel like that just doesn't change anything yeah I agree with you a hundred percent it's um you know I've used that terminology before it's it's about mindset and it, it, it depends on the approach that you choose to use. And, um, you know, I've recently been in touch with some people in the long-term care space, the traditional, I'll, I'll say, long-term care space. And, um, you know, getting people to change their mindset unless they feel they have to for some reason um, can be challenging, I think will be challenging um, moving forward for, for a large number of people, but there will always be people that can see the benefits and that will be w- willing to change the mindset. And maybe that's how it goes. You start small and then maybe as people see changes, then maybe that will kind of spread. Yeah, I think um, as unfortunate as we are in at this moment with COVID, you know, really challenge our mindset really in many, many ways. And I think elder care is hopefully um, if we, you know, we will have a different way of thinking because we have, we are experiencing, we haven't seen the end of this and we don't really know what the real social isolation means. You know, it, mm-hmm. I always have to tell this. That, mm-hmm. you know, so there are lots of issues that we, you know, just newspapers talking about, like elder care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, this was not like caused by COVID. It was there, you know, COVID yeah, kind right. of brought that it's issue. Highlighted it. It's shine, shown a spotlight on it in a way. Yeah, right? just like, uh, excuse me, there was like already social isolation. Didn't we know <laughs> You know, it's just like institutional care versus home-like care. And like, you know, just people are, compl- you know, just questioning about, you know, just efficiency-based sort of institutional approach versus like person-centered care. And talking about infection control, of course, when you know someone, you know, well enough to help them, that has a better control over infection controls. and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a lot of things that people are discussing. I'm like, well, you know, COVID didn't create it. It was there. And um, so, you know, if we don't use this opportunity to really shift our mindset and just do something, I think we're going to miss such a great opportunity to do something. I I agree. I I think, um, you know, COVID 
you don't want to think of anything as being fortuitous, especially something like this, but maybe it did expose, you know, just like in other events in our society that kind of exposed something that was, you didn't expect without getting into any specifics, you know, it kind of brought it to the national consciousness. So uh, maybe this brings this to the national consciousness also, like you say about isolation. There are many people living in their homes, older people that are isolated, not even just older people, but we're focusing on that for this conversation. Um, and so, so like you said, this existed before. And something that always struck me about isolation and loneliness, which is a kind of a hallmark of the traditional nursing home, you know, mm-hmm is that um, people are living amongst other people, um, some of them in, in uh, facilities, I'll use that word, that have hundreds of people, and yet they are isolated and lonely. Mm-hmm. So this is, you know, something that needs to be addressed. And um, if, like I say, if COVID has shown a spotlight on it and it helps us, then, that it, then something positive can come out of this. Yeah, I think... Uh... Um, you know, I always felt strange, again, like being in a nursing home. You are surrounded by 200, 300 people sometimes. Yeah. And you have roommates, like three of them sometimes. So, right. you know, at least one. But a lot of people are still lonely. You know, some, sometimes we have a wrong perceptions that if you, if you have people around you, then you don't feel lonely. You know, when I felt the most lonely time was when I was living in Tokyo. Um, I didn't know anyone in my, you know, apartment complex. But there are millions of people passing by, and I, I knew no one. And that was the most lonely feeling that I felt. And I sometimes feel like, you know, just putting people together in the same space, it is not how we design places. You know, I think what people need is a space that facilitates relationships. To Correct. do that, you know, um, there is a theory, actually, it's Altman's theory. It's, uh, he's probably like a sociologist. Um, so what he said was that people really need a good, you know, just a comfortable level of privacy to socialize with others. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the worst thing you can do is to not give them private space and just like, push them into the socializing space all the time because what happens is that people who are in this like, you know, public realm all the time expected to socialize with others. Mm-hmm. All they want is a privacy and all day long what they do is to look for private place. And right. it's right. from people. But if you have a comfortable level of privacy, then if you're like, oh, I'm kind of getting a little lonesome, why don't I just go out and interact mm-hmm. with others? So, you know, architecture, when it comes to, like, design, um, the principle of it is, like, okay, we're going to have to make sure we have, you know, just private space that has a transition of, like, a semi-private, you know, semi-private and, try, you know, transit out to semi-public mm. and go into the public. To me, those are the design principles that we all have to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, but how you know, the environment look like and feel like has to be customized based on mm. the users. And I feel like, you know, that we don't really do that part quite well. You know, I think, and also just like a, try to understand the basic human needs and how we can actually design the space around it. Mm. Um, it just, to me, it's the most 
you know, interesting part of what I do. And my beloved professor, Jerry Weisman in Wisconsin, he always taught us that, you know, what you're creating is not a space. You know, what you're creating is a place experience. Mm. You're designing experience, um, you know, because sometimes when we focus on space, we forget about people. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, if you think about, like, what kind of place experience I want my mom to have. Like, in the kitchen, it's not a comfort. I mean, it is a comfortable place, but it is not, like, it is much more, like, socializing kind of place. Versus bedroom will be much more private. So, when you're designing it, it is not about, you know, perimeter of, like, a space by drawing line and just Mm -hmm. making certain size of the room. But, you know, when you think about, okay, I'm creating someone's experience. And all of a sudden, you can actually have different way of seeing the same plan. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I feel like, you know, no one but the user can actually explain the best about how they want to use their space. Yeah, <laughs> so, that, that makes a lot of sense. So we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we'll continue this fantastic conversation about... Uh, caring environments for our elders. Um, We'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high-quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. Rubina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of All of Community Services, a 501c3 providing support services to seniors, families, and the community. Olive's Live, Learn, and Thrive programs engage seniors physically, mentally, and socially. Rubina's passion for seniors stems from her experiences as an only child, living miles away from her aging parents who are over 90 years of age. She understands the issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org for further information. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the hosts at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now, back to Senior Straight Talk. Well, welcome back to Senior Straight Talk, uh, Emmy and Phyllis. I am 
just thrown by the information that's being shared. And especially being in this time frame where I'm actively involved with our group, Olive Community Services, in designing the concept of a, of a facility for seniors, uh, that I hadn't thought of the concept of uh, experience. Right. You know, building in the person experience, but thinking more about, you know, what things it needs to have, where they have to go. And, and the experience had been, you know, a little part of it, but a very small part of it. And it's really brought up, brought it to the forefront of my um, awareness, consciousness, paradigm. Uh, so thank you very much for, for bringing that, at least to me, and I'm sure to, to many many other people. With that, can you please share the Ibasho principle, how it started, and what's your mission? Yeah. And when we'd like to have that conversation. Yeah, so as I mentioned about my grandmother, I was very much involved in and was interested in like designing long-term care space more comfortable because I was just always had my grandmother in my mind thinking, you know, there are other people who are, who are there and just they, they deserve to have a better place. And, uh, you know, I lived in nursing home as a part of my master's thesis for about three weeks. And uh, so, and I met these incredible elders in a skilled nursing, which I've never expected, actually. You know, they are so wise. Mm -hmm. and yes. It's so, so funny. The wisdom keepers, right? Yeah. And it was just just when when we were talking about this young age, how much like like the story just like, oh, I can't talk about this to my mom. I'm thinking, my gosh, 92 years old woman is talking about this, you know, fun, funny thing or something that she, they did when they were young and couldn't tell mom. I'm thinking, wow, 92 years old woman is talking about their young age and just hiding away from mom. It was kind of interesting time, uh, but I just kind of saw a completely different size of el side of elders. Um, you know, and I think one older person said it was funny. Um, some, you know, she was saying that, oh, I cannot, I had this like a oral exam, so I cannot French kiss anyone today. right? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, um, you know, that's kind of surprising. And she looked at me and said, what did you think? I was old when I was young. Right. Oh, I love it. I absolutely, absolutely love it. I just want to say something, not to interrupt what you're saying, but, um, you know, one of the things that I have found, and I've said this before, and I wrote about it recently, I'm 67. And, um, you know, I've been working in nursing homes for many, many years, but I very often will, you know, have met somebody and say, well, I'm closer to your age than you'd think. And they ask me how old I am, you know, what my age is, whether it was 55 or 60 or 65. And they say to me, well, you're just a kid. And so it, you know, it's made me think of older adults and advanced age in, in a far different way. And there was one woman in a, uh, a building where I was working in the fall. She, she was, I don't know, probably late in her 80s and had tremendous breathing problems, tremendous, tremendous breathing problems. She walked with an oxygen tank and she was always huffing and puffing when she came to the rehab room, but she always carried her earrings with her and ask that somebody put on her earrings. Mm -hmm. The people don't lose a sense of who they are. 
you yeah. know. And so that just reminded me when you said that. Yeah. These are yeah. Yeah, I think people have those moments sometimes, but, you know, to me, and I looked around, you know, older people there, because I was struggling just like try to understand the culture of nursing home, you know, you just have to go there to get whatever, and you have to go there to wait to do whatever. And elders were always telling us, oh, you just have to, you know, we have to look after you, basically, you know, it's just, to me, I just felt like, you know, my goodness, there's so much wisdom and so much funny story behind these people. And now after hearing about this kissing story, I'm like, <laughs> I can't see her as an old person any longer, right? And I'm like, wow, you know, and they are just kind of giving up on their life there. And I'm thinking, I really hope that, you know, if I could just create the space where this wisdom is going to flow out of this building and mm. just, if other people can have a similar experience like I did, you know, it just, I just thought it would be so great. Um, and I realized that we don't, we didn't have options, you know, and I think the biggest problem I felt was that, you know, we were busy trying to look after older people and we were forgetting about helping other, helping elders to help others, you know, um, right, because yeah. that's what makes people happy. Right. Um, so that's, um, that's how I kind of thought that maybe I should explore um, because I was spending so much time and effort and just like, you know, I was half asleep because I was so tired by work, overworking. And I realized, but, you know, no one wants to live in this place. Why am I? <laughs> Can we do better? Really, it's, um, and what? And I was just questioning, what can we do to make it better? And it just, and I felt like, you know, I, I, that nursing home has its own space. Assisted living has its own space. So I'm not really saying that we have to get rid of. I'm not one of those people who challenge to just get rid of this. Just I think what we don't have is an option for people who want to help others and who can. Mm. And uh, so that's what, that motivated me to study Basho. But what do I know? I'm not old. So I'm like, okay, to figure that out, why don't I just sit down and just chat with all the people? That's how the whole thing started. That's, that's excellent, Emmy. And uh, you're talking to two that you would call old, but we're pretty young. So we're right now trying to focus in those, you know, before you're in a nursing home and the number of years, because we're living longer, that are productive years still. How can we encourage the seniors to be living vibrant lives and at the same time giving back to community? And one of the, the things that I've been talking about and Phyllis and I've talked and I've talked to many other people is uh, starting social enterprises mm -hmm. where they come and they work as much as they can. Then we produce something of worth that goes back into the nonprofit organization to, to support, uh, you know, services for seniors. So I am very much interested in, uh, in hearing, continuing to hear about uh, the Abasho project. What was the next stage? Um, so we have, uh, we, the first one, um, it, this Abasho was um, started 2010. It just came out of my volunteer work. Um, I was, working in Bhutan and Sri Lanka and every coast. And they 
you know, I was basically just trying to figure out what kind of housing for older people is needed in those countries. And uh, one of my friends said, oh, I think, Amy, you just need to create a not-for-profit so that people can support your work. And without knowing what it takes to maintain not-for-profit, <laughs> I just decided to find found a 501c3 not-for-profit organization 10 years ago. And uh, um, during that time, 20 to, uh, 2011, we had a big earthquake in Japan. Um, so I was, you know, I was sending a message about Ibasho for several years. You know, no one paid attention, I felt, at that time. But this disaster happened, and um, there was a Honeywell uh, Foundation arm of Honeywell Corporation. So we want to help um, elders in, in Japan. So can you please uh, work with us? So I said, sure, you know, I have this idea, you know, older people can actually do something. They were like, I'm not quite sure if that works. It's just a disaster area. <laughs> doesn't sound right for us to just like make older people work. It doesn't sound good. And I said, well, you know, why don't we just, you know, just sit down and talk and see what the elders want. And I was sitting at the uh, temporary housing unit and it was a tea event time. So the older person, I will say she must be 80 years old with like pink hoodie gap, <laughs> you know, and she, because she lost everything practically, just like her house was all gone. And, you know, and she said, you know, just so nice to be, um, to, I'm so grateful to have a house to live and I'm so great to have clothes to wear and food to eat but it's been about 11 months I mean it is too much for me to be always receive resent what I want to do is to do something to others you know if I if I can write a thank you card I will do but I said so why why you didn't do it and she said because no one asked oh you know, yes. interesting wow. you know it's just both ways she yeah, you know, she's like a victim of tsunami, lost everything. So people thought, oh, we're going to have to do everything for her because right. she must be vulnerable. She must be so sad. And here she is thinking, please ask me to do something. I want to help anybody. Mm -hmm. And it was so many elders who were like that. And I have to say, just connecting to this COVID, I sometimes wonder, you know, because we like a media and all, it's like older people vulnerable. Yes, they are very careful and it's susceptible to, you know, the virus, but just kind of boxing them into vulnerable yeah. group of people and just giving that only label rather than, or they can actually do a lot without compromising their health, you know, and, and if I'm a little concerned about that, it's just like, are we doing the same similar thing like at this moment? What you're saying makes a lot of it sense. Makes a lot of sense, and I'll share share an experience uh, with you. Uh, what happened here? Technology. <laughs> um, Technology. Are we still good? Okay. Uh, I'm good. Okay. Um, we experienced in Olive just when COVID started that we wanted to do a mask project, you know, face masks. Mm. And the elders were so busy 
that they didn't have time to be bored. <laughs> right. Remember, Phyllis? Yeah. I mean, we had young people going, picking supplies, you know, patterns, everything, and, and they were so busy and so active. And that was another thing that gave me the initiative and the, and the confidence that if we can capture even smaller amount of their time, a couple hours a day, you know, that is productivity. And of course, I'm, I'm the business person on this call, you know, and that is productivity. And if we can harness that, how much social good it will do in terms of the economics and how much personal good it will do to, you know, overcome loneliness and, uh, and all the other things that we're talking about. Yeah. You, you know, what, what brought, what, what Emmy just said, you know, about her concerns, it, it, you know, I think it, it, it almost is reinforcing the isolation part of it, you know, um, kind of segregating older people, putting them in this, you know, separate area, you know, how many uh, grocery stores uh, where I am still have certain hours of shopping for older people, you know, people over a certain age. And um, so is that, like you said, Emmy, is that doing more to kind of promote this idea of isolation and also this thinking about older people are over there, they're separate, they're vulnerable, and they are, oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think uh, I... I, I always think about it a lot about like frailty is going to happen, you know, and unfortunately you have to be so lucky to just die like all of a sudden overnight, <laughs> you know, a lot of time you go through frailty time. I think to me, we, we might want to be mindful about that piece. So I think, you know, just um, shopping uh, for, you know, older person's shopping time, it makes sense to, um, certain people who needs that kind of help. But at the same time, putting that as almost like social perception about, oh, right. it's just like older people has to be out there. That's, that's a two different stories. But I yeah, think, that's what I mean. Right. Uh, yeah. So I think that's the part of the reason I do Ibasho because like Ibasho is a place where older people just decide what they want. And it's just, you know, what, how they want to be useful to the community. And, you know, so that's everybody can find a role, some kind of role uh, when you get there. And, you know, it could be small. It could be someone just doing dishes. That's one of the contribution. And, you know, we don't have um, Alzheimer's Cafe and stuff because they are always welcome, basically. Then, you know, we don't have to just decide 7 to 9 o'clock on Friday night is Dementia Cafe. If your parents have dementia and if you have to bring your mom at the same, you know, that specific time, how devastating is that? Because it's almost like you're just like walking into the gate of stigma almost. Mm -hmm. It's just like, why can't we just, you know, sort of accommodate it? But it takes a lot of education for both ends, you know, the community who feel embarrassed to bring their you know, parents or loved one with dementia. And also the person who are there at the uh, you know, Ibasho Cafe to receive those you know, people with dementia. I think it is, it is working well because older people are much more sensitive about that part. Um, so, you know, I think 
And also that uh, this is a platform where other people can find whatever that they can do to be useful. So if you're a high school teacher, you could still teach reading in a high school kid, whatever. Or if you're, you know, housewife for many years, you know, they, they actually do clean so well. And just when the kids comes, they are very good with just looking after the kids and listening to single mother who just want to vent all this frustration for this little kid and things like that. So they're always, you know, just, I'd like to be able to see like the kind of value that other people can bring, which was not valued in a society, just like back into the community. Um, and I wanted to create the space where people can see so that, you know, a lot of time people will be like, oh, you know, how do you empower other people and how could older people run this? And I said, look, older people has an experience of like running companies for many years, many of them. <laughs> you know? Why? Why they retired and they lose the skills. It doesn't happen. You know, if you're a professor at the university, you can write grants to help community. Just can they write grants? I'm like, well, that's what they were job was for 50 years. How could they forget? You know, but we just need to just shift our own mindset, but it has to be there physically so that people can see how older people are and how they can actually run the place. So, you know, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jeff Rubin, who, um, who has this wisdom, uh, who's creating these wisdom circles, mm -hmm. uh, these intergenerational wisdom circles. Remember Rubina? Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, um, Emmy, do you know him? Because maybe uh, it would be a good connection for both of you. But it reminds me that um, it just, um, it was last night or the night before. So I, um, I guess it was meant for me to see this at this time, right? I turned on the television, it was late. And there was this program that made me think of wisdom circles. And it's just kind of what you're saying in a way. And it was, um, it had to do with the Holocaust, but, but basically it was these older people who had survived the Holocaust and younger people. And, um, you know, how their relationships formed over a period of time. And initially, the young people were open about saying they were afraid of these older people. They didn't know what to say to them or how would they be. And then in the end, as they both shared their experiences and feelings, um, you know, people are the same. They have the same feelings and concerns and cares. And obviously, they were able to share some of their experiences that the younger people didn't know about, but it's basically what you're saying, uh, the importance uh, of, of all of that, that intergenerational piece, which you're incorporating in all of, um, Rubina, correct? We are trying, and uh, I mean, a couple questions that come up for me. And one is this uh, cultural shift. Mm. What are you doing to, to bridge this gap? And it's, that's uh, one thing. And the second question is, how does one get involved? Mm with the Abashu project? What's your selection process for, for projects? Um, so I will start with the first one. It is mm -hmm. gap, you know, just cultural gap and generation gap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, um, I think I, this is uh, how I feel when I was working on Ibasho. Just elders and I talked about this. How difficult is it to create a normal place? It is actually easier to create institution mm. because, you know, someone can set up procedure and you are the one who is control over someone's life. 
But if we were to try to create normal space, a lot of activity happens, just people come in and go out and, you know, a lot of flexibility happens. It's much more difficult because you realize how much sense of control you have to give up on this. Um, So, you know, just cultural gap and intergenerational gap, you know, I think people do have, um, you know, just like to receive the sense of community, you have to give part of your privacy and sense of control. Otherwise, the community won't come in. That, but, you know, a lot of time we just want to get sense of community without sacrificing anything. Mm-hmm. So that's really, it's, a, it's just a long, it's just ongoing work. And, you know, when you have a cafe, like a, we created a cafe because that's what elders want. And it was very, from the very beginning, we wanted this to be a symbol of, you know, older person's wisdom. So we did not want them to just behave like a dependent person. So it is self-sustainably run. So they created an organic farm and they have uh, bi-weekly, you know, mm-hmm. farmer's market and ramen noodle shop and they have children's daycare and mm-hmm. they do study group and all that stuff for children and younger people. Um, but they're just, they're not depending on the city's money. They said, we want to be independent. So the good news was they never closed during the COVID time. They mm-hmm. kept socially distancing, sitting area, because they it's important that they, they were looking after older people who are lonely. So if there's no destination for people to come out from the house, that was going to be a problem. So they took all the tables and chairs out and just placed it in a safe way so people can actually share the same room, the same space. And they started the bento box um, service so people can actually buy bento box for lunch. Oh, wow. And they also deliver the bento box for these people who are frail. Mm. Um, Because for them, it is not other older people. They're like community members, they're friends. And I think that's really important because it's a small scale and it's intimate space. Um, you know, just people kind of know where to draw the line. So COVID, you know, they didn't take big measurement. They just wanted to keep it open in a minimum way, in a very safe manner. Um, but I just thought it because it was run by older people and, you know, they were, they were kind of safe. They feel safe because they know if someone's going to come, let's say, if I go there, they will probably say, Amy, I really appreciate not to come because you're not from this community. I don't know who you met with other people or, you know, right. so I think, you know, those, uh, the acquaintances, it is really important. And I think, um, yeah, so I think there was a lot to learn because it was me, like our organization was the one who is responsible to be running this. I would have just said, can you please close this because it's a liability issues. Mm-hmm. But it is run by the older people who, it's, it's a not-for-profit organization. They, they're running it so they can make their own decision to say this, when is when is safe and is not safe. Yeah. So I'm and, not and the other, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And how to be involved. Um, I'm actually trying to figuring out how the formal process is because I, to be very honest, I didn't think it was going to grow <laughs> more than three <laughs> places. And uh, in the U.S., people are interested and I am interested in implementing it. So, yeah, I think 
the challenge is like I don't want to make it too prescriptive, but it is uh, it's just comfortable enough framework that people can actually follow, and we can sustain our organization to be able to you know help others always. Um, so yeah, um, I think in, in a month or so I will have much better you know answer. Oh, we will definitely be talking. Yeah, maybe uh, there, help me out figure that out. You know, let's figure it out together. The best way of figuring something out is when you're trying to do it. Exactly. You know, really, and that's where we are right now. But the other question that I have, Emmy, is we design programs and we're trying to reach out to seniors, but we're not seeing that many coming. Mm. And we know there are seniors. Yeah. How, How do you explain that? So uh, when I started this Ibasho in Japan, I started with three people who wanted to do it. And uh, I talked about Ibasho principle one day and said, if you agree, can you please bring three more friends or including your grandkids if you want, (laughs) if you don't have enough friends. And they brought three friends. Some brought more than that. Uh Uh, Basically, uh, we are just try to gain the trust through other people and they bring their own friends. Um, some people just decided, oh, I really want to be helped by government. I don't want to just mm-hmm. you know, right. spend my time to do this. Then, you know, that kind of self-select by himself. But yeah, so I think, so we have nine people came and then we, ha- we asked nine people, we are, we're going to be doing this education if you think it's helpful for other older people, or if you want to be like doing something with them, bring more friends, bring your friends. <laughs> and that's how, okay. and then a week later, we had about 50 people, including children. Okay. Mm. But um, so, you know, because we did not want to go with like a fabricated sort of approach to say mm-hmm. we need 70 people in a room. That To me, mm-hmm. it's better to have five people who want to do it Right. It's really discussing exactly. about whether like 70 people just are just there just to. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that's the stage we're at now. And um, I'm learning so much, Emmy. Thank you so much. And thank you, Phyllis, for bringing us together. Oh, so, uh, yeah, Emmy, before we, uh, before we sign off here, is there any information that you want to give our listeners for people to contact you or find out about a Basho or yeah. uh, if you want to help in some way? Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah, of course. Uh, we have a website. It's www.ibasho.org. So, you know, most of the information are there. And uh, there is a contact list. Um, so if someone has specific questions or they want to study Basho, um, we have uh, emails um, with the contact us sections. Well, that's just terrific. So, I mean, on behalf of Robin and I, who learned so much, <laughs> a thrill to, to work with you moving forward, but um, for our also i mean it's just been a terrific conversation i'm sure the listeners can feel the excitement that rubina and i have for all of this information so i guess i would say um to our listeners to please join us on our next episode of senior straight talk for more informative conversations for the senior years of our lives and please remember to like click and share our episodes and until next time stay safe stay well and stay tuned Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. 
Join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms. We'll be right back. 